Okay, we're uh, studying out of the book of the Revelation, and we're still in the 19th chapter, uh, looking at a number of different thoughts. One of the things I'd like to do, I, I can't remember sometimes what I have mentioned and what I failed to mention, but I, I think that I did mention this in an earlier message. Um, in that 18th chapter, um, in the 23rd verse, it's, I've told you that this chapter, I believe, is about the United States of America. I think that's uh, the focus of this chapter. And one of the things it says is that, and the light of a candle, verse 23, shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived by their sorceries. I'm certain that I did mention this at an earlier time, but I want to mention it once again because uh, to some extent of my own personal involvement in what I believe is a fulfillment of this verse and that my background was psychology. And one of the things that you learn when you study the in the field of psychology is the development of psychology uh, since the days of, of Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was, uh, you know, called the father of psychology. Uh, he really is not. Uh, God is the father of psychology, uh, not man. But he started what was called psychoanalysis. And if you go back and you study psychology, you will find that that method utterly failed. And the reason is because of the complexity of a human being. Uh, trying to get inside the psychic of a human being to understand what causes people to do the things they choose to do in life uh, um, is a study of the second most complex thing in the universe, which is man created in the image of God. Well, the most complex personality in the universe is God, and we're created in his image. And for us to think that we can divine what causes people to do what they choose to do is absurd. Well, uh, in the field of psychology, that totally fails. And so you study the development of psychology over the years, and you run into people like Carl Rogers, uh, client-centered psychotherapy, uh, group therapy, uh, you get into the Russian psychology, uh, 
stimulus response psychology, um, um, and eventually uh, you end up with what we have going on today in the field of psychology. In the field of psychology, they've finally figured out that all of these previous methods have failed. And so what they eventually resorted to is what you read right here in this verse, sorcery, which is where we get the word pharmacy from or pharmaceutical. It's like drugs. So you see, the whole field of psychology is dedicated to predicting and controlling human behavior. And so there have been all these methods that have been tried to predict human behavior and to control human behavior. And all of them failed. And so the very last thing they tried to do here was uh, uh, resort to drugs because if you administer certain drugs to people, you can uh, control them better. And so certain places were abusing drug use in the effort to control. One of them was in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of the place. I, I visited there doing some of my intern uh, work. Uh, and they had people in there with severe psychological problems, catatonic schizophrenia, for instance. And they had people in cages. I've seen it with my eyes. Uh, where you, you couldn't keep clothes on a patient. That was totally insane. And so what do you do in a situation like that? Well, eventually the concern is not so much the client as it is the providers, the caretakers, and their comfort. And so the best way uh, as a, in the field of psychology for you to survive in dealing with all of these complex psychological problems best thing to do is, is, uh, is drug them to the point that uh, you can get some rest. And that's what they were doing. And as a matter of fact, to the point that they were investigated in Goldsboro uh, many years ago, back in the, in the 60s, I believe it was, uh, uh, the 68 or 69, something like that. And uh, they have discovered, and there's been all kinds of reports that have come out where uh, people have been uh, put into psychiatric wards and really did not have uh, problems that they had been labeled with. And they were locked away for years and could not get out because of the medication and keeping them medicated for long periods of time. And so there's all kinds of articles that you can read where this has happened 
and there have been tremendous abuses. Uh, and of course now, uh, when it comes to behavior problems in the school system, um, with the falling apart of the home and the influence of parents and that kind, kind of thing, there's a crisis in the schools as to how you can deal with the behavior problems. And so you have all these psychological labels that are put on, put on kids. Uh, you know, every kind of, you know, hyperactivity, uh, 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 all kinds of, of problems that cause managing children to be very, very difficult. And so what do they do? They come up with uh, something like Ritalin. And I've got books in my office, I mean thick books, several of them, uh, where in the medical profession, uh, professionals that really know and understand something of what's going on have written and warned about the damaging effect of some of these uses of pharmaceuticals. Even in the case with Klebold and Harris, uh, shooters in the school out of Columbine, these kids were medicated. And they're, they're finally beginning to discover that certain types of uh, psychotropic drugs can have the very opposite effect that you're looking for and can actually turn a child into a cold-blooded murderer. And that's exactly what happened. And so, this particular thing that we're reading about here, uh, the United States of America has been a leader when it comes to uh, the use of pharmaceuticals. And if you watch the news, it's amazing to me if you watch the news, you will see a new drug come out almost every day. It is unbelievable the kind of drugs and the number of drugs there are for every area of human behavior. Uh, whether it's depression or anxiety or uh, going to sleep or waking up, uh, any kind of problem you've got with bodily organs, uh, sexual activity, all of those kind of things, there's a drug, thousands and thousands of drugs, and books this thick in doctor's offices of nothing in the world but drugs. Well, I looked on the interweb, and I, I, I think I mentioned this, but it tells you that, that the United States accounts for 45% of the global market, and six of the top 10 largest pharmaceutical companies in the world are uh, found in the United States of America. There's over $360 billion annually uh, that's globally made. 
as a result of uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And then the, the, the last thing, I'm, I'm not going to continue this, the, the, the last thing that we've dealt with is uh, the COVID. <laughs> COVID. I am absolutely convinced that this whole thing is as satanic as it can be. It is as engineered as it can be. And there's all kinds of stuff that has come out about the origins of this virus that has been uh, created in a, a laboratory. And there's been very open conversation from some of the global leaders um, that one of the great needs is to reduce the population. And if you don't think that they can use this to bring down the world's population, we are very much the target of the deception that the Lord warns us about when he said, as the first warning, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. I can't tell you how many times as principal of this school I've sat down with parents and pleaded with them to take their kids off of Ritalin uh, and to not send them to a secular psychologist. Do not send your child to a secular psychologist that has problems of whatever kind. The solution is not the pharmaceutical industry. The solution is not uh, modern day psychology. I'm telling you it's evil to the core. And I hope people who hear what I'm having to say will get concerned enough about it out there in uh, <laughs> the, uh, the listening world on the internet uh, will listen to what is being said right now at least enough to have the interest to study it for yourself. And I think if you do, you'll find, find out that the Fauci's of this world, the so-called experts, are some of the most frightful people of our generation. And what's going on is unbelievable. And it's frightful when you think about it the numbers of people that are deceived about these things. I thought I would take just a, a few minutes to mention uh, some things. I went to a, a meeting last night. I think Bob was there. and uh, It's a meeting that Brother Vic Allen put together uh, so that those that are running for the Moore County Board of Education would have an opportunity to uh, let people know who they are and what they stand for and so forth. And it was up here at the Veterans Lodge right up the street. And Vic, I think, did a tremendous job of, of trying to get these people without uh, coaching them into uh, some corner by asking them certain questions that left them no choice but to disclose uh, what 
they stand for and what they believe about life and what they would do if they were in charge of educating, <coughs> educating our children here in Moore County. And one of his first questions was, and it was very open, and I think it was very ingenious the way he presented it. Uh, would you explain to us here tonight your worldview? Your worldview. Why don't you just think about that just a minute? If somebody asked you that question, what 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 is involved in explaining to somebody what your worldview is? Well, that's a huge question when you think about it. Huge. But there's no real way that you can answer the question without going pretty quickly to what life is all about to you as a person. What is it all about? There's a vast difference between the answer to that question if you're a Christian as compared to someone that is not. Now I'm going to tell you what the view is of a person that does not know the Lord. <clears throat> it's what came out in that meeting. And it's really something that's not new. I remember being at a uh, Department of Public Education meeting back in the 70s uh, when Brother Kent and Dan Carr were up there dealing with the Craig Phillips, who was the superintendent of public instruction in North Carolina. And, uh, and we went to a meeting. It's called a Strickland Commission meeting. Uh, Senator Strickland, I think it was, out of Goldsboro, North Carolina. He was, he was sort of in charge of uh, a, a meeting up there that had to do with uh, the lawsuit that we were headed toward where the Department of Public Education was trying to force us under their umbrella and under their control. And... Uh, and in that meeting, the various people that represented the state of North Carolina had an opportunity to stand up and, and uh, explain their worldview and what they thought was central to the purpose of this gathering, this gathering. And there was a man that stood up who was... Um, deep into the Department of Public Education. He was a black man. And he stood up, and here's what he said. He said, education is our salvation. Education is our salvation. And in that room, there's probably a, 150 people or so in that room. And a good number of them and several from our church were there. 
And people sort of snickered under their breath. It was in a low tone. But when that man said that, it was really hilarious to a person who knows the truth. A person who knows the truth knows that education is not our salvation. Because I'm going to tell you something. Craig Phillips cannot raise the dead. The whole Department of Education in North Carolina cannot raise the dead. The Department of Education for the United States of America cannot raise the dead. And if you can't get out of the box, what is the point of life? Is it a diploma? Is really. I mean, think about it. What is life all about? When it comes to the question, would you tell us what your worldview is? Your worldview. You're going to sit there for a moment and you're going to think, oh, this is a huge thought. He's asking me what life is all about to me. And there were three people on that board and it was pretty clear what they believed pretty clear what they believed they did not believe the Bible I can tell you that they believed exactly what that man said in the late 70's up there in Raleigh education is our salvation it's the children if resurrection is anything, it's in our children. This is our future. This is us in the extended sense into eternity. It's our offspring. It's our children. It's our education of our children. <laughs> but how are you going to get a child in a room and explain to him that this worldview that education is our salvation when they've got enough good sense to know that it doesn't raise the dead. What have you accomplished when you get a diploma? Listen, I have preached the funeral of students out of our school that died before they got a diploma. A diploma's not going to get them out of the grave. I mean, when it comes to worldview, when it comes to giving life meaning so that we have a foundation and a basis for morality, which is the problem, it's the epidemic problem in the public school sector. How, how can you do something about the violence in the school if you can't teach morality, and what kind of morality are you going to teach? Well, one of those people running for the school board made the statement, and I've got it recorded. I recorded the tape. I recorded some of what was said. And this, this woman, in uh, trying to provide some kind of basis for morality, said this, when it comes to the LBGTQ, 
uh, view or viewpoint. She said, I go by the laws of the state of North Carolina. Whatever the laws of the state of North Carolina are, and if the law comes down that we're not to discriminate, then as a teacher and as a person on the school board of Moore County, I'm going to go by what the state says. That's her worldview. That was her answer. Well, to the Christian, what are we going to go by? We're going to go by the Bible. That's what we're going to go by. We're going to go by the Scripture. Um, oh me, that was a verse in Revelation that I wanted to, to read in conjunction with that. Uh, where is it? It's where it says, it's talking about the abominable and adulterous. Here it is. Here's what God says about the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Well, um, when you think about what is going to be in hell, all you have to do is read the Old Testament. When it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, when it comes to uh, sodomy, as we read about it in Romans chapter 1, um, the public school system does not use that as the foundation for teaching morality to the students in the school. The foundation for the teaching of morality in the school was said by that woman. Whatever the state says when it comes to what is allowable and what you should teach in the way of morality, she said, that is what I'm going to go by. Folks, that's where we are. In America, it's one of the reasons that I believe that eight, uh, Revelation chapter 18 is the United States of America. Um... So what is life all about? Is it really about education? Um, another thing that was brought up in that meeting was uh, what are you going to do about the violence in the public school because it's so bad uh, they're having to put law enforcement there on the campus to keep kids from killing one another. And uh, so, what are you going to do about it? And so the prevailing answer that was given doesn't really go to 
the real need, which is giving children a moral foundation, which is the Word of God. It was compulsory education. You've got to come by the force of law, the Sheriff's Department, and if you do not do what you've been told to do, you will be punished. You will be punished. And so, what they're talking about is just a dictatorial force. In other words, do what you're told. And this is the foundational understanding that children are being brought up in and with uh, in Moore County and throughout the state and the nation. The reason for right behavior is the suffering that you're going to do if you fail to do right. And the sheriff's going to come get you and put you in jail. And that's it. Okay, how does that how does that government uh, affect a person within? Well, it doesn't. And so self-government, as this nation was uh, founded to uh, embrace, is based on a conscience toward God where we are convicted within our own hearts that He is really there. He that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him and He's a rewarder of those that do not with wrath. And it's eternal. It's eternal wrath. And that's what we're going to get into when we get into the 20th chapter of Revelation. There is a God in heaven. You cannot teach about that God in the public school system. There are a lot of people who say they do. But if they do and they're found out and the news media gets hold of it, they will be uh, removed from their job if they do not change their way. And so this is where we are and of course I'm preaching to the choir here we, we know these things we've been taught these things um, as long as we've been here as a church but the key thing is this uh, Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 15 if there is no resurrection then our preaching is in vain. He goes on to say we are of all men most miserable and there's no cure for it. Because you're either going to believe that God has spoken and His testimony is faithful and true as we read in the 19th chapter of Revelation. Or we're on our own to give sense to life and it cannot be done and no amount of education can provide a person with hope concerning eternity 
And so dying is just as much a reality as living. Everybody dies. And so if there's no such thing as resurrection from the dead, you tell me, how can anybody squeeze some kind of purpose, meaning and purpose, out of life? I don't know how you can. To me, it's, it's absurd. Well, anyway, let's go to Revelation chapter 19. And I want to bring a few thoughts out to you here this morning as we study a little more carefully some of the things that are said here. Um, it's after the... It's, it's right at the point where the Lord is getting ready to come, the second coming, and this is what the 19th chapter is about. It's the second uh, coming of Jesus Christ where he actually appears and comes down to the earth in contrast to the rapture of the church where he does not ever come down to the earth. We go up to him. And so that's the clear teaching of Scripture. But in this 19th chapter, we get a little bit of a preview concerning the church dispensation. So there's a certain sense in which in the 19th chapter, the church is brought back into this overview of the book of the Revelation. Because from chapter 5, up until this point right here, the church is not a part of what's going on other than the harlot church, which I think uh, the Lord was alluding to in his uh, <clears throat> description of the church at Laodicea. The church that was rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. That was the beginning of ecumenism and the global church that you eventually see in Revelation 17 which is called the mother of harlots the mother of harlots the mother of harlots uh, uh, is a perversion of the concept of marriage which in the Bible is a picture of genuine salvation it is becoming one with God a harlotry is leaving the, the husband and uh, having your affections alienated by another lover, and in this case it's the world. And the Lord says, love not the world, neither things are in the world, lest the eye... Unless the flesh, pride of life, not of God, it's of the world. And so the harlot church is a church that's rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing and uh, has found a way to be personally happy without God. And that's why the Lord was on the outside of the church knocking, wanting to get in. And they didn't want him in. Because they had another Jesus that they were satisfied with. And they didn't want the true Jesus that was knocking on the door. 
And so the church is really described in the 17th chapter where the church has become one with Babylonianism. And what is Babylonianism? Well, it's man pursuing his own will and unity without God. And that's exactly what the harlot church is all about. So there's real no, really no distinction between Babylonianism as a system all throughout the Bible and Revelation 17 when it comes to the ecumenical movement in the church. But when you get into the 19th chapter, the true church, the true bride of Christ, it tells us has made herself ready. Uh, she's made herself ready. And the question is how? Because it's now talking about us and there's something for us to learn from this. How has the bride, the true bride of Christ, made herself ready? Well, it appears that there's something that she could do. And when you study the Bible, you learn that what she does is not of works. It's not of works. As a matter of fact, the true church, the true bride of Christ, understands what the Lord meant when he said, without me, you can do nothing. So it says that she's made herself ready. Well, how did she make herself ready? By studying the scripture and realizing the gift of God. The gift of God. What do you do for a gift? Nothing. Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. I brought a message a few weeks ago about what can we do for God? What can we give God? What do we have that we could give Him that would somehow or other cause Him to look at us and be really grateful for our contribution to Him in view of the restitution uh, in a court of justice for the murder of the only begotten Son of God. What can you give God for killing His Son? And the answer is nothing. You can't give Him anything. Any more than we could kill somebody else's son here on earth. And after they're dead, go to the family and say, I'm really broken over what I did here. I want to give you something. What could you give somebody for killing their only son? Nothing. Nothing. As I brought out in one of those messages, there's two things required. And one is your death. If you want to satisfy the Father for the crucifixion of His Son, 
you're going to have to die because that's exactly what you deserve. And you need you, the death needs to be forever. Forever. And so what can we give God? Well, we can give Him our death forever. But Jesus Christ went to the cross and died in our place and paid the sin debt and goes to the Father with full restitution for the crime, which was eternal death. He died an eternal death in our place. But as was pointed out, that was not enough because you can't go to somebody and say, look, uh, this is what I'll give in exchange for killing your son. What does a father really want? What does any father really want? Any parent really want? If their son, son's life is taken away, well, there isn't one thing that could ever make them really happy. And that's to have their son back. I want my child back. Well, we could not pay the sin debt and we could not bring the child back. We couldn't bring the son back because we can't raise the dead. But now think about it. Jesus Christ did both. He paid the eternal price for our sin. And in John's Gospel, chapter 10, it tells us that his life was not really taken. He said, I laid it down. And if I lay it down, I can take it back again. And what he was teaching was that he was going to raise himself from the dead and then give us himself in his resurrected life and then present us to the Father and what would the Father have? It would all be provided by the Son of God. Nothing from us. The Son of God would pay the full price for the crime and present himself alive to the Father. I am he that liveth and was dead but behold, I'm alive forevermore. It's called resurrection from the dead. So how has the bride made herself ready? I'll tell you how. By studying the Bible and finding this out. That Jesus Christ paid it all. That he raised his own self from the dead which made it as though the crime never even took place. Because full payment has been made, the son is not dead, it's as though no crime has ever been committed in the mind of the father. And so we read on, verse 8, it was very important. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And then it says this. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. How does she make herself ready? 
She made herself ready by understanding that statement right there. We have no righteousness. It's the gift of God. God arrayed us in this fine linen, which is His righteousness. It's the gift of God, folks. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of those members that are running for the Board of Education understood this right here? Because when it comes to uh, worldview, if you don't have this one, you have nothing, nothing to offer whatsoever. And children are being abused in the educational system today. It's child abuse in the most extreme form that the human mind could ever imagine. Getting them in a classroom and forcing them to learn things that are not true. To learn that man is an evolution. I mean, can you imagine this? And you got people that are on that board right now and want to be reelected so they can continue to teach that same thing. How well the ones that want to unseat the unfavorable ones and replace them, how well they even understand this message this morning is doubtful to me in many ways. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can't be in the government system and be very vocal with what you're hearing this morning. You cannot do it. You can't do it at Sand Hills Community College. You can't do it at Carolina. You can't do it at NC State. You can't do it in any government school. You cannot. And that's why there isn't but one solution when it comes to education. And that's get your kids out of the public school system and get them into a Christian school that is operated by a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And there are very few of them. That's why Jesus Christ is coming very soon. I often think to myself this. I, uh, uh, you know, I study the Bible, and I and I try to I try to understand where are we in the program of God? How how soon is He coming back? And it hasn't been just this year. There have been other years that I've sat in my office and I've thought within myself, uh, I don't believe that we'll finish out this year at Calvary Christian School because I believe the Lord is going to come. And the reason is because the signs seem to be so evident and so overwhelming. But folks, look at the signs today as compared to previous years. Look at what's going on over there 
in Russia right now, in the Ukraine. And people are still jumping up and down and beating the drums saying Ukraine is going to win. Ukraine is going to... No, they are not. No, they are not. This world is headed to the end of all things. And I believe Russia, without any doubt or question, is going to resort to uh, nuclear warfare. And Donald Trump and some of these others that have warned us about it, that we're on the brink of World War III. There is no doubt about it. But you see, the World War III that they throw out in the news, I don't really understand it. Let me tell you what World War III is. It's the 19th chapter of Revelation. Jesus Christ is coming back. It's the seven years of tribulation. That's World War III. And Russia invades the Middle East. They try. And God himself intervenes and absolutely destroys that effort. Absolutely destroys it. And so the tribulation begins, but we're raptured out. So we've just been to the Christian Educators Convention. I wonder seriously of what that's the last Christian Educators Convention there's ever going to be. I do not understand how the Lord cannot come right away. I do not understand. I just, I just, I study the Bible and I look at these things and I, and the Lord tells us that we're supposed to know the times and seasons. We spent quite a bit of time uh, trying to develop that thought. And God made it very clear that it's our responsibility to know the times and the seasons. And so when we look at everything that's in place right now, it is as plain as it can be. When we see the, the fig tree and the tender leaves, we know that summer, that summer is here. That's a season. That's a time and that's a season. And God incorporated that into his answer to the disciples' question, when are you coming back? And he was talking about Israel. And then he said, this generation shall not pass away. They shall not die until all is fulfilled. That's what the Bible says. And I declare I believe that's exactly what is meant by those words. And so you think about it. Okay, we've been to the Christian Educators Convention. We're desperately trying to teach the children here at Calvary Christian School the truth. And I'm going to tell you something. If there's anything that thrills my soul is to be able to come here into this chapel and look out there and see the faces of those kids, sometimes 5th grade through the 12th, 
and teach them how to get out of the box and how to have hope and why they should behave themselves because God teaches us what is right and what is wrong and we're doing it for Him. It's because of Him that we do right. It's not because of the threat of the sheriff coming and knocking on the door and saying, I'm going to put you in jail if you don't do right. That's a dictatorship. That's out external control. External control can never convict and convert the heart. It cannot. <coughs> Our purpose is to see children converted. And it has to be from within. And it has to be a result of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's our only solution to the violence problem in the, in the school system today. I don't see how anybody can say that's not true. It is true. And so, uh, in verse 8 of Revelation 19 is the key to understanding how the bride has made herself ready. She's made herself ready by understanding these things. Now, listen to me. First John chapter 5 and verse 20 is one of the most important verses in the Bible to me in the New Testament. It's so precious when you think about it. And we know that the Son of God hath come and hath given us an understanding and hath given us an understanding. This is how she has made herself ready. That we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John five twenty. Everybody ought to have that verse underlined in their Bible with an asterisk beside of it so that when they come to it, they can pause and meditate on the depths of its meaning. God has come and has given us an understanding. Now that leads us into um, an understanding of, of what is, is said beginning at verse 11. Let me just read that. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in him, and in righteousness, rather, he doth judge and make war. The first thing I'd like to call to your attention is uh, who it is that's uh, on that white horse. He was called faithful and true. Folks, do you realize how precious it is to be able to stand in front of an audience of students and say the testimony of this book is faithful and true and mean it. 
testimony of this book, Spice Boy and Truth. Well, this is who this is. It's the one who wrote this book. In the public school system, oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that late. In the public school system, they can't say this. They can't teach the children this. How sad is that? Think about it. How sad is it that they, they cannot teach that this book is faithful and true. We can, and we do. We sure do. Our time is gone. Let me pray and we'll, we'll leave. Father, thank you for these moments to study your word together. Uh, blessing the service that follows. Thank you so much for your presence here and for this amazing book that you have given us, the gift of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name.